Okay, as we look at uh, Zechariah chapter 2, uh, just a, a quick uh, rehash of the of the context of Zechariah, which is the people are returning to the city. They're returning to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the city. They're uh, rebuilding the the temple and all those things. And that's what Zechariah and Haggai are, are prophesying to the people about. That's what is going on as they are uh, prophesying. But we also need to remember that uh, uh, the people were returning to Jerusalem. They didn't return in one big mass. They returned in three different waves. The first wave came uh, under Zerubbabel and Joshua. Zerubbabel, which is, yeah, I know it's a pretty goofy name, but uh, he was, for lack of a better way to put it, the governor of uh, the people, his political leader, that that kind of thing. Um, and Joshua, not the Joshua of the book of Joshua, but uh, another man named Joshua was the religious leader. He was the high priest, and we're going to see we're going to see him uh, front and center in Zechariah chapter three. Um, that was the first wave that came back, and uh, Zechariah is prophesying while these while this is going on. And then, of course, you know that Ezra returned with a, another wave of, of Jewish people, and they were uh, Ezra was a scribe. He was focused on the law, focused on uh, rebuilding uh, the temple and, and returning the uh, uh, religious state of the nation back to their God, and, and that was the second wave. And then the third wave came when uh, Nehemiah uh, returned with a, a host of people that uh, were tasked with, uh, it was laid upon his heart to rebuild the walls uh, around Jerusalem. And so uh, during this time, there were people, there were Jewish people that were still, um, that were still in Babylon as even the, the city was being rebuilt. There was waves of people had come back. And we need to remember that a lot of people, um, a lot of people had built lives in, in in Babylon. They had, you know, they owned businesses and built homes, and uh, you know, they they had established their lives there. And you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't like when the king decreed, "Hey, you can go home if you want to," and everybody just pulled up stakes and left. Um, there were uh, there were uh, probably the majority of the people did not go. Um, at the first uh, at the first trumpet sound that said you can go if you want to, and so there's people that are still in Babylon. There's people that are still uh, that have come to Jerusalem and are rebuilding. And Zechariah is pro- prophesying to them. And what we're going to see, what we're going to see in this prophecy, is um, uh, a theme that is uh, trumpeted throughout Scripture, and it's a theme that uh, that we have to get a hold of if we're going to uh, if we're going to live for Christ, if we're going to uh, experience the uh, the peace and the joy of relationship with Him. Um, we have uh, when we when we're made right. Uh, with God through Jesus Christ by 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 grace through faith in in what He did in His death, burial, resurrection, uh, we experience peace with God. Romans five tells us that, and that's a real that's a real peace. Uh, um, what Zechariah is going to show us today is that there is a peace that's coming. There is a hope uh, of future glory. There is a hope of. Uh, uh, of God's people that uh, no matter what goes on, no matter what we go through, no matter what suffering, uh, no matter what suffering we endure in this life and uh, make no mistake, we will endure suffering. No matter what goes on, we will, we will, uh, 
there will come a day when everything is made right. There will come a day when all the wrongs that are going on will will be made right. There will come a day when the God's people uh, won't have to uh, fight and struggle against sin, against enemies. Uh, there's going to come a time when uh, uh, the psalmist writes and he says that uh, God, w- until uh, we're waiting till He's uh, made our enemies our footstool. And so there's going to come a time when uh, when the creation. And everything in it and everything about it will be perfected, and that perfection is going to come uh, is going to come through through Christ. It's going to come by the uh, by the incarnation, as God Himself took on flesh and became a man, came and died on the cross for our sins, and was raised from the dead, and that was the inauguration of the uh, the kingdom of God. And so, the kingdom of God is here now. It's real. It's uh, palatable in our hearts, in our lives. Um, but there's also coming a consummation of that kingdom when everything will be wrapped up, and there won't be any more sin, there won't be any more curse, there won't be any more death and and dying and those things. And so, Zechariah is foretelling. Uh, the glory of God's people here. He's foretelling that time of peace. He's foretelling that time of, of uh, uh, when creation itself is renewed, and he's going to use the picture of uh, of Jerusalem to do it. Now there is a uh, there is a uh, a near and a far fulfillment of Jeremiah here. Uh, Jeremiah was prophesying to the people that he was uh, in contact with there in Jerusalem. So uh, they were, in fact, rebuilding we, rebuilding the city. And so there was a near fulfillment in the fact that, indeed, the city was rebuilt. Um, of course, it never, you know, never reached the pinnacle of, of uh, glory that it had under David and Solomon, but it was definitely, uh, it was definitely rebuilt. And so Zechariah is foretelling that he is foretelling the fact that uh, God will dwell with his people and he is uh he's encouraging giving hope to the people that are building there um but what we're going to see and we'll see this clearly as we go through this text is that um the ultimate fulfillment the culmination of Zechariah's prophecy the culmination of of everything that he foretells uh is is through Christ. It, it came when when Jesus was incarnated in flesh and and uh, and, and crucified for the sins of of the world, and it uh, it will be perfectly and completely fulfilled when Christ returns in culmination of His promise, and the kingdom of God is uh, is uh, is established without uh, without enemy, so to speak. Uh, when there won't be any more sin, won't be any more curse, won't be any more enemies to be attacking. There'll be peace uh, in the truest sense of the term, uh, complete peace. And so what we're going to do is we'll just go through the text and I'll show you how this manifests itself uh, throughout the text. In verses 1 through 5 it says, uh, Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, and said to him, Run, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls, because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Now, before we even go on, before we even talk about the measuring line or what it means to be a city without walls, um, I know my dispensational friends are going to have a fit, but uh, but I'm sorry the uh, 
the the New Testament writers, the authors of the New Testament, the apostles and the the disciples, they they consistently saw these Old Testament kingdom prophecies uh, to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, what we have here is what we have here is the picture of the picture of Jerusalem, the heavenly city, the the perfected Jerusalem. That's something that we see in the New Testament writers. Uh, there are two Jerusalems. Uh, uh, I know that that sounds strange to a lot of people, and a lot of people are going to want proof. So let me just go over to um, uh, Galatians chapter four. Uh, in Galatians chapter four, uh, Paul is talking about uh, you know the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, and how we are uh, not under the penalties and punishments and condemnations of the law anymore. And he compares the new covenant and old covenant with. Uh, Hagar uh, from Genesis, the slave of Abraham, and Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And Sarah, of course, gave birth to Isaac, which was the son of promise. And Paul's point here is that those who are of faith, those who are trusting in Christ, are the sons of Abraham, are the true sons of the promise. And what what he says here in verse 25 of chapter 4 in Galatians, he says, Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai. He's comparing her to the law uh, in Arabia, and it corresponds to the present Jerusalem. That was the Jerusalem that existed in Palestine in Paul's day. For she is in slavery with her children. And then he says in verse 26, But Jerusalem, the Jerusalem above, is free. And she is our mother. And so you see here that Paul even says that there are there are two Jerusalems. There is a Jerusalem which is the present city that uh, never measured up to the the perfect reality that God expected her to be, that God uh, desired her to be. But we see a perfect uh, reality of of God's city, and that exists in heaven. It's the same city that John said, "I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven." There is a perfect Jerusalem, and that is our mother, and that is the one who who we serve. That is the one that is above. It's it's free, and the writer of Hebrews uh, also corroborates this in Hebrews chapter twelve. Uh, verse 22, he's, now remember the writer of Hebrews is talking to Hebrew Christians. He's talking to Jewish men and women who had trusted Christ and who were now faced with the problem of, you know, do I go back to the law uh, now that Christ has returned to, uh, to heaven? Do I go back and live the way that... Uh, the way that I have previously, and of course, the writer of Hebrews is saying, "No, we don't go back to those things. Christ is uh, Christ is better than all those things." Uh, and he tells these Hebrews here in verse twenty-two of Hebrews chapter twelve, he says to them, "Because they have come to Christ now, he says, you have come to Mount Zion." He's talking about them coming to Jesus. He says, "You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly." Jerusalem. So even the writer of Hebrews sees the fact that there is a a, perf- a perfect city of God, city of the living God, and that is the the it's the reality of all those who are in Christ, whether they are Jew or Gentile. And so, in Zechariah chapter two, if we are speaking here about the perfect city of God, if Zechariah is talking to them about what the perfect city will be, uh, we know that uh, according to the New Testament writers, that perfect city uh, is is 
what we have come to in Christ. He specifically told the Hebrews that because they have come to Christ, they have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. They have come to Mount Zion. They have come to the city of the living God. Uh, and the point that he was making in Hebrews 12 is that we, we don't go back to the old now that the new has come. And so this is the picture that Zechariah is showing us here in, in Zechariah chapter 2. Um, he is speaking to the, the men and women who were there building the city, but he is speaking uh, about a reality that uh, exists for God's people throughout time and throughout ages that is found in Christ. Uh, the kingdom is inaugurated in Christ's coming in his death and resurrection, but it will also be consummated when he returns again and all of creation is made new. And uh, and the, the, new, the new city, the new Jerusalem has come down out of heaven and that will be where we dwell. And uh, everything that Zechariah says here mirrors what John says in in Revelation uh, uh, 21, 22. And so he, he, what he sees is a man going with a measuring line. He says, where are you going? I'm going to measure Jerusalem. Now, the measuring here, if you're a, an astute student of Scripture, you'll recognize that we also see the same image in, in Ezekiel uh, through chapters 40 through 43, 44, um, an angel going to measure the city. And we also see, and I think this is where John picks up this imagery, we see in Revelation chapter 11, we see an angel going to measure the temple. Uh, and the angel is told there, uh, measure the temple, uh, measure the court, measure the measure the holy temple, but don't measure the court because that's given to the Gentiles. And so what we see here is that this measuring is God setting apart. God's setting apart a city. God's setting apart a place. He's setting this, this place apart to be holy to the Lord. And we've already seen that the New Testament reality of this setting apart is, uh, is the perfected Jerusalem. Uh, the Jerusalem that the, the Jews were rebuilding in Zechariah's day never did reach the, the pinnacle of peace, never did, never did become, you know, it was never even intended to be a city without walls because Nehemiah was returning to build the wall. And so what we're talking about here is the reality of uh, glory and hope that comes in Christ, comes in, in the being the people of God. Uh, and it says, I'll be Jerusalem, my city, my holy people will be a city without walls. It'll it'll be a city that needs no defense because God will be will be you know uh, her defense. God says, uh, I myself will be a wall of fire. I'll be a wall of fire around her. And uh, what we see, he's saying, you know, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to be their defense. You know, whenever whenever God's people. Um, build God's city, if you want to put it that way. Whenever you, you live for the kingdom, whenever you serve the kingdom, whenever you're serving Christ, serving God in, in the world, doing, uh, you know, growing in Christ and, and all the things that go along with living and following after Jesus, um, there'll always be hindrances. There are always going to be enemies. The enemies are going to be, um, uh, legion forever you know not forever but uh, as long as we live in this body in this creation and you know even if you discount all the persecutions and all the enemies from the outside the people that uh, uh, malign and, and disdain you and and despitefully use you and all those things we have enemies you know we have the flesh that's internal it's inside of us that is always going to be warring against the spirits always going to be warring against us working for god working for the kingdom we have the world uh, and it's uh 
in its worldview, its its cultural mindset, its uh, its uh, materialistic, naturalistic worldview. It's always going to be warring against us. Always going to be telling us that we need something extra to be happy. Uh, and then, of course, you have the the uh, Satan himself, who is who is uh, always tempting, always uh, going to and fro, seeing who he might devour. Uh, you're always going to have these enemies, uh, and, and it can be. It can be discouraging when it just seems like all hell's breaking loose and, and the world's falling apart and everything in my life is falling apart. It can be discouraging when you uh, do all that you can to live for Christ and pursue holiness and it just seems like you get knocked back on your heels every other day. Um, it, it can be it can be disparaging. It can be discouraging. Well, God promises here. Look, my city, my people, uh, they're going to be a city that's not going to need walls anymore. They're not going to need defense anymore. They're not going to need uh, to always be alert anymore because I'm going to be their protection. I'm going to be uh, the one who camps around them in a wall of fire, and that that's a picture of those. You know the pillar of fire that kept Egypt away from God's people as they stood at the Red Sea. Uh, I'm going to be a wall of fire around them. They're not going to need. Uh, they're not going to need walls. They're not going. There's not going to be any more hindrances to uh, to peace. And there's not going to be any more hindrances to holiness and to uh, living after me. There's not going to be any more hindrance to the relationship that I have uh, with my people. And what a hope that is. And of course, we're going to see here in a minute that uh, that is uh, culminated in the coming of Christ and what he did for us. Uh, and there's coming a day when that will be perfected as well. Uh, we'll be a city without walls. It says that he'll be, uh, it'll be a city that's filled with people. It says it won't, won't need any walls. It won't have any walls because of the multitude of people that's within it. It's going to be, it's going to be open, not just to the, the ethnic Jews, not just to the, uh, fleshly sons of, of descendants of Abraham, but it's going to be open to, to all those Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, who would come to trust in Christ. Uh, in revelation, we see, um, this, uh, you know, it's very interesting to me how a lot of people can read the revelation. I'm going to say, I think it's four, it's four and five where they see the 144,000. There's always questions about the 144,000, you know, 12,000 from each tribe of, of, uh, of Israel. And, you know, that, uh, there's so many, you could fill a book with the interpretations that people have, uh, of that, uh, uh, of who they are and how they come to be. Um, but what it is, is it's perfection. It's, it's the perfect, the perfect Israel. The true perfect Israel. It's it's uh, symmetrical, so to speak. You know that's why the, the numbers are, are are so perfect. Twelve by twelve by twelve. You know by twelve by twelve. It's one hundred and forty four thousand. Absolute perfect Israel. And let me just read. This isn't really part of uh, what I had planned, but. John is weeping because no one is able to open the book. It says uh, in. in in verse 4 of chapter 5 of Revelation, it says, Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And the next verse says, And I saw between the throne uh, with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb. Okay, so he heard that a lion 
was was there, but when he turned and looked, he saw a lamb. And of course, we know that both of those are images uh, of who Christ Jesus is in the New Testament. Well, the same imagery is used in it's Revelation seven, where the one hundred four to four thousand are. Um, it says John says verse four in Revelation seven says, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, one hundred forty four thousand sealed from every tribe. Then it goes twelve thousand from each tribe and lists those. And then in verse nine it says, and after these things I looked, and behold a great multitude which no one could count. So the same thing that he, the same thing, the same words, the same. Um, the same construction that's used when he identifies Christ is used when he identifies the uh, the 144,000. He he heard that the lion was uh, was able to do it, uh, but when he turned and looked, he saw a lamb. Uh, he heard the number proclaimed of God's perfect Israel, 144,000. But when he turned and looked, what he saw was a multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes, all peoples, all tongues, standing before the throne, behold, before the Lamb, clothed in white, and palm branches were uh, were in their hands. And so what we see is that uh, when, it, when Zechariah says that uh, the... Uh, the city will will not need walls because there will be so many people in it the multitude of the people that's in it um, what we see is that what we see is that Christ has provided for his city for the perfect city the perfect Jerusalem the perfect city of the living God he's provided for all all manner of you know people all tribes tongues nations <clears throat> everyone who would come to him by faith it's a multitude that no one can 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 number and the 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 most the most uh, wonderful part of this promise the most wonderful part of this vision that he sees uh is says that it's the very last uh the very last section of verse 5 God says, I will be the glory in her midst. And he's talking about the city. He's talking about the city of the living God, that I will be I will be the glory in the midst of her. Now that can and it is fulfilled in in so many different ways. So many different ways that point to the beauty and perfection of what God has done. Um I will I will be the glory in the midst of her. Uh first off you see that uh he was and is the glory that was in the midst of her when he took on flesh and he came and dwelt among his people. And he came actually to Jerusalem and he came actually to seek and save that which is lost. Uh, he was the glory in the midst of her. But uh, but there's a greater fulfillment of that as well. And it's, of course, dependent upon that first coming uh, is that the culmination at, at Christ's second coming, he will be the glory in the midst of her. John says that there'll, ne there'll be no more need for a temple because uh, he will be the temple. Uh, there'll be no more need for light in the city because he will be the light. He will be the glory in the midst of her. And that culmination, that consummation of of all things is uh, is something for which we wait, some, something for which we long and hope for. But there's even also... Uh, a fulfillment that we see that's going on right now, that's right now in our midst. Uh, God will be the glory in the midst of her. He is dwelling right now uh, in, the, in the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives and the hearts of, of his children. He is has not left them alone to wait, uh, not left them alone to, you know, just hope for something in the future, not left them alone to... Uh, uh, 
um, to just uh, pine away until we uh, get to see the second coming and all those things. He he right now dwells with his people. He says, I'll never leave uh, and I'll never forsake you. And so verses one through five speak specifically of this wonderful hope that we have, not just a hope that we, you know, uh, I'm I'm just trying to struggle through this life until I get there. That's not the kind of hope that he's talking about. He's talking about a hope that we have uh, right now, a glory that we uh, that we uh, can taste, if you will put it that way, right now. Because no matter what goes on in this life, no matter what enemies at this point in time, there were enemies all around Israel trying to stop them from. Um, building the city. There were uh, men and, and factions and all kind of things, and we see those in Ezra and Nehemiah um, and even some here in Zechariah, but uh, there were all kinds of people that were trying to hinder them from from completing the task God has given them. And Zechariah was telling them, look, we have a hope. Uh, no matter what goes on, no matter what hindrances, what enemies come against you, and what things come into your life, what uh, what is going on in your life, you no matter what happens, we have a hope above all things. We have a hope that uh, all things will be made right, but that we have peace with God right now, and that He is He is dwelling in our midst, and so we have that. Especially those of us that are on this side of the cross, we we don't look at those promises from afar off. We can see them clearly. We can see the fulfillment of them. We know uh, what it what it means to have peace uh, with God. So, based on all these promises, based on this uh, this vision that uh, Zechariah sees of of God being the protector and dwelling with his people and being a comfort to them and all those things. Um, based on those things, he, he gives us an exhortation in, in verse six. Um, he says, uh, he says, ho there. You know, if you're reading the ESV, it'll say, get up or up, up. You know, it's, it's, uh, he says, this is what I want you to do. Pay attention. Uh, uh, rise and listen. Verse uh, six says, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of, of the heavens, declares the Lord. Ho, Zion, escape you who are the are living with the daughter of Babylon. Now, remember what we said before, that all the people hadn't come uh, back to Jerusalem by this point. Uh, all the people hadn't come. There were still some living in Babylon. And he's telling them, look, we have a glory waiting. We have a glory waiting. We have a God that is uh, uh, will dwell with us, to dwell with our people, with, with uh, in the hearts of His people, uh, a city of the living God, a perfect city that's encompassed by God, protected by God, uh, and we have peace with God. So flee from that land, flee from, come out from all those uh, the the judgments and the and the the things that I have placed upon you. It was God that sent them into captivity for the, for their sin. He's telling them, look, uh, you know, it's enough. It's enough. You, you have, you have dwelt in that region long enough. You have dwelt among the judgment long enough. You've dwelt in my discipline long enough. You've dwelt, um, uh, among those enemies who persecute you, among those uh, trials, among those sufferings, among those things that weigh you down. You, you've dwelt among those uh, long enough. He says, I have dispersed you. Uh, as the four winds, he's saying, I, I was the one that sent you to Babylon. That's what God was saying. It was because of your sin, because of uh, your uh, disobedience that I that I I sent you there. Well, now I'm telling you to come back. Now I'm telling you to flee from that. And it's interesting 
interesting in verse 7, he says he calls the people Zion. Um, more often than not, we think of Zion, even in that text we read in Hebrews, it says you have come to Mount Zion. Uh, he calls the people here Zion rather than rather than Zion being a place. Zion is the people, and those people are dispersed in the captivity. He says, um, Zion, uh, he said, you are the people. Uh, he says, escape you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. The daughter of Babylon is, uh, it's, it's almost a picture of uh, how the people have, uh, it's like they're, it's like they're laying with a mistress now. You know, they've they've uh, lived most of their lives in Babylon. They've built lives in Babylon. They've uh, um, built businesses and stores and homes, and and they built a life there. And so they have come. They have become pretty dang comfortable living where they're at. And so he's saying, I, I want you to come out from that. Come out from the daughter uh, of Babylon. I want you to come and. Return to me. Uh, I want you to uh, lay aside the the comforts and the pleasures and the uh, you know all those things that you enjoy that are separate from me. Um, the The Jewish people were treated relatively well as they were in Babylon. I mean, you think about the word captivity. You think they were all locked away in chains and and things like that. But um, they, I mean, they were enjoying. Life and society in Babylon, of course, they were always longing for uh, the re to return to the glory that they had under Solomon and David. But what he was telling them here was, I want you to leave the comfort of the world. I want you to escape the trap that you have, uh, that you're caught in. Uh, they were sent away in judgment. They were sent away in judgment for their sin. And they spent most of their lives living in that judgment, Jeremiah told them just to, when Jeremiah prophesied about them going away 70 years earlier, uh, Jeremiah told them that God planned for them to build homes and, and make themselves comfortable because you're going to be there a while, you know, and and so they, they did that. And so now that uh, God was calling them to return, uh, a lot of them were comfortable and didn't want to come back. And he's saying, uh, you need to escape the trap you need you need to escape that uh, uh, those comforts of the world and the the most wonderful thing I, this is why I love Zechariah uh, chapter two is uh, uh, verse eight and nine uh, he is going to give us a picture of the fulfillment of these things um, it says uh, verse eight says for thus saith the Lord of hosts after glory he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. What this is is a picture of God the Father sending God the Son. His people will be avenged. His people, he's, he says, I'm not going to allow uh, nations to plunder you. I'm not going to allow, you know, whoever touches you touches uh, the one that I love, uh, the very uh, apple, or it could be translated pupil of my eye. Um, he says, I I'll wave my hand and I'll make them your slaves. I'll, I'll plunder them for you. He says, uh, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And, and, uh, he does it. I mean, get a hold of what he's saying. Follow the pronouns. Verse eight. Now remember, this is this is God speaking. 
It says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, that's Yahweh, the one, uh, the one true God. He says, After glory, he has sent me. Now, wait a minute. He has sent me against the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. And then he says, For behold, I will wave my hand over them, so that they will be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. So, wait, wait just a minute. He says, the Lord of hosts has sent me, but I am the Lord of hosts. The Lord has sent the Lord. Let's read it again. Pay close attention. It says, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, after glory, he has sent me against the nations which plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plundered for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. So what you see is here, it's a picture of the Father sending the Son. The Lord of hosts sends the Lord of hosts. Uh, It's probably not the best way to put it, but seeing these things, seeing these pictures in the Old Testament, these uh, uh, foretellings of Christ, these shadows of of uh, of the the incarnation and the Trinity and all those things, it, it just excites me to no end. He says, you know, uh, I'm going to return. I'm going to return those people that plundered you. Uh, I'm going to give them as a plunder to you. I'm going to uh, make your enemy your footstool. The ones that have been oppressing you, I'm going to come and oppress. And you see this reality throughout the New Testament. Sin doesn't have any more dominion. Over over God's people in Colossians chapter two, verse uh, verse fifteen, I think it is. Um, it, it says that uh, that uh, that he disarmed and, and squashed principalities and powers, making an open sh- show of them by dying on the cross. It was it was it was by the cross that he conquered. Uh, all all the enemies of God. He 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 conquered the, the defeat and the despair and the fear that comes with living in living under sin's dominion. Uh, anyone or anything, any principality, any power, any uh, demonic force, if you want to go that direction, or or any any human persecutor, any uh, fleshly enemy that would come against you, he is he is making them a plunder. Uh, for you, he is making them instead of being slave to sin. We're no longer slave to sin. We're slave to righteousness, and we're more than conquerors over these things. We're not uh, slaves to these things any longer. We're conquerors over those things. And so, uh, this basically is a an exhortation that the, that God's people will triumph, no matter what goes on, no matter what's going on right now. As you're building the the temple, or or that's what Zechariah would say to the people, or what's going on as you're uh, living for God or serving the kingdom. Um, there's going to come a day when, uh, and it has come. The day has come when when uh, your enemies are your footstool. We're we're uh, the victory has been won. Let's put it that way. Even though we're st- we still have battles to fight, and so he tells these people in verses ten through thirteen, uh, and I'll just read them one at a time. He says, he says, sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. Now I can, <laughs> I can see these, I can see these people. 
you know, with this huge task ahead of them. Enemies on every side trying to hinder them from building the temple, trying to hinder them from building uh, the city, trying to hinder them from doing what God's called them to do. Uh, not only that, but they have uh, fleshly desires on the inside. Haggai talks about how the people desired to build their own houses rather than build uh, build God's house, and all these things coming against them. They're they're looking around, going, "Man, this is uh, this is an impossible task. The city's never going to be what it was." And also in Haggai, you see the the elder Jews saying that they're crying because the temple would never be the uh the 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 glorious temple that it once was and all those things going on and so in the midst of all this he says that he tells them look god is victorious our enemies are defeated so sing sing for joy and be glad daughter of zion for behold i am coming god says i'm coming and i will dwell in your midst declares the lord rejoice right now you have peace right now. You have reason to rejoice right now uh, because I'm coming. And indeed, he has come. He's come in in, in the form of, of, uh, of a carpenter that died on the cross and was raised from the dead. He has come as the Holy Spirit that indwells and empowers us and that uh, fills us with, uh, with uh, the Spirit that leads and guide, guides us. And there is coming a day when He will come in power and glory and consummate all the things of God's kingdom that have, been, that have begun. There is coming a day when He will come and all these things will be made right. Uh, verse 11 says, Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. This is not just for uh, the ethnic Jews. This is not just for a particular nationality or descendant. He says, in that day when I come and dwell in your midst, many nations are going to come and join themselves to the Lord. How do many nations come and join themselves to the Lord? They come through Christ. They come through the death, the burial, and the resurrection uh, of Christ. And when they do that, they become his people. It says, then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Here we see the same thing. The Lord of hosts has sent me. Many, wait, wait, wait. In verse 11, it says, many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become whose people? My people. That's the one speaking, the Lord. They will join themselves to the Lord and they will become my people. Then I, this is what the Lord says, I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Hold on. The Lord will dwell with his people and the Lord has sent the Lord. The picture of the picture of the father and son is undeniable. Uh, it says the Lord will possess Judah as his portion. Judah, the tribe which Christ was born from as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. And then probably, uh, I don't know, I just, I get excited reading verse 13. It says, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. It's almost, I get this picture in my mind of, uh, you know, there was, there was a time when I was a kid, there was a time when, you know, uh, um, You'd be doing something stupid or whatever, and and your your dad would just let it, it let it go for a while, 
you know, and he would just let it, you know, uh, uh, look at this guy, you know, uh, I mean, is he going to, is he going to come to his senses? And then after a time, finally, he would just put his foot down and say, oh, okay, enough is enough. And I see that here in this picture. It says, okay, God's stepping off his throne, uh, not to uh, give up the throne or anything like that, but to, uh, to come and to, uh, to make things right. He's saying, look, God's aroused here. Uh, he, he's come from his holy habitation. He has descended uh, to make things right. He has put his foot down and said, you know what? Enough is enough. And uh, he did that. He did that uh, by sending the Son, by taking on flesh, entering into his own creation, dying for those who would trust in him. Uh, he, he is rising to come and, and to, uh, to destroy the, the, the bonds of trial and suffering and the curse of sin and, and the slavery that we dwell under, uh, that mankind dwells under in sin. He's come to do away with that. He's come to give us a new heart. He's come to give us a new spirit. He's come to give us new desires, come to make us his people. The greatest miracle in the world is, is not, uh, you know, is it's not even creation itself. I don't think. You know, God, in order to create the universe, God didn't have to do anything but speak. He said, "Let there be," and there was. Uh, but in order to take a wretched, wicked uh, soul, a, a wretched heart, and and turn that heart into a heart that loves and desires holiness and God, he he uh, he took on. He took on flesh and took on the form of a servant, uh, was born in a manger, lived a perfect life, died on a cross. Uh, he had to go through the suffering and trial of, of uh, the effects of sin itself in order to do away with sin and to bring righteousness to his people. Uh, he, came, he came to his city as a man and he is coming again to his people uh, as a conqueror. Uh, destroying sin in his wake, destroying the uh, forces of evil in his wake, destroying all the things that hinder and and keep us from uh, uh, building his city, so to speak, if you can put it that way. And so what you see here is in the midst of, in the very middle of this uh, section, very middle of this section, um, what you see is uh, an exhortation. Uh, it's a command, and that command is flee from the land of the north. Flee from the daughter of Zion, and then it says, Sing for joy and be glad, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst.